On Saturday, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and members of the alt-right, but I repeat myself, gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia, to chant stupidities and be maced by left-wing Antifa anarchists before one apparent brown shirt rammed 20 protesters with his car, murdering one and injuring the rest. We'll discuss how the alt-right goes so wrong. Plus, lone conservatives Cassie Dillon, roaming millennial, and The Daily Wire's Jacob Airy join the panel of deplorables to discuss neo-Nazis losing their website, Obama's election collusion with Russia, and for some reason, Colin Kaepernick. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. What a weekend that was. I woke up to, I tried to figure out some other story we could cover today because I know everybody is going to be covering this, but there is nothing else. We have to talk about it. Uh, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a piece about six months ago about the alt-right, kind of a fairly in-depth study of them. So we'll talk about that a little bit today. As I was watching it this weekend, though, it did feel like the Iran-Iraq war. It was a pity that both sides couldn't lose. You had one New York Times reporter witness this. This is a quote. She, she's had to recant recently, but she did tweet this out. Quote, the hard left seemed as hate-filled as alt-right. I saw club-wielding Antifa beating white nationalists being led out of the park. Quote, among my unanswered questions, police response. Why did things get out of hand so quickly? Could the violence have been prevented? And this has been a huge criticism. Why were the police apparently doing nothing? Why was all this violence allowed to happen? Why weren't there barricades? Why weren't these little fights being put down? I don't know. There isn't a lot of video footage out there of it, but a lot of questions to answer uh, with regard to that. The event was called Unite the Right. And this was so clever. This was a clever move of, of these, the whole uh, event was white nationalist, neo-Nazi, uh, all focused on race, but they called it Unite the Right. Now here is the uh, organizer describing the event, at the event. So I'm outside of City Hall in Charlottesville right now. Um, the Charlottesville City Council just held a press conference where they said that they were going to cancel the permit for Unite the Right. They want to move it to McIntyre Park, this area that's across the way that doesn't have a damn thing to do with the Robert E. Lee Monument. That is the first and foremost reason that we're having this rally is for that park and for that statue. It's about white genocide. It's about the replacement of our people culturally and ethnically. And that statue is the focal point of everything. There is no way there is no way we are going to move that demonstration out of Lee Park. You heard him. That is the focal point of everything. Robert E. Lee, the Confederate monuments, that is the center of it all. That was Jason Kessler, who was the organizer of this. But they called it Unite the Right. By the way, here's, an, here's another uh, tweet he sent out from another event. He said, getting ready to speak at the free speech rally in front of the Lincoln Monument. Lincoln can go to hell. I'm a Southern man. I think we see where he's coming from. Other people who were helping to organize and appear at this event were Richard Spencer, a well-known white nationalist of the National Policy Institute. He runs altright.com and Radix Journal. KKK showed up. David Duke showed up. The, uh, a lot of neo-Confederates as well. But they called it Unite the Right because they do have a little bit of intelligence. They, they do have a little political forethought. And they realized that if they called it Unite the Right, 
then that would aid in the mainstream media narrative, the inevitable mainstream media narrative, to lump all right-wingers in with this event, all conservatives in with this group of racists. But then further, if it's called Unite the Right, very few people are going to pay close attention to this, then perhaps conservatives would defend these guys in their little protest, and they would therefore insinuate themselves more and more into the conservative movement, the mainstream of right-wing culture. Now, there is a lot of misunderstanding over what the alt-right is and what the alt-right isn't. Most of that was caused by Milo Yiannopoulos, who for a year said he is alt-right, he isn't alt-right. He's a, a proponent of the alt-right, but he's not on it. He made a lot of contradictory claims in a long piece that he published on Breitbart.com. On the one hand, he says that the racists make up a small fraction, two to five percent of the alt-right. On the other hand, he says that all of the central figures in the alt-right are white nationalists and are uh, racists themselves. Um, he names these people like Richard Spencer, Jared Taylor, who's a fellow Yale and uh, runs American Renaissance, a white nationalist organization, a lot of the neo-reactionary movement, Curtis Yarvin, Mencius Moldbug, a lot of people who have been associated with racism online. So the question is, where does the alt-right go so wrong? We love the memes, we love Pepe, and we don't like the, the Nazi stuff. So, uh, luckily, we have some video of Richard Spencer explaining the alt-right. How many times do I have to tell you that I don't speak German, Marshall? Well, it's sort of How many times before it's similar, I guess? Do we have any, do we have a clip in English? Well, for that, we'd have to go all the way back to the time of Karl Marx, who was, of course... No, wait, that's Paul Bois. That is, I, I understand the confusion, because the Michael Knowles Show's own Paul Bois does look eerily similar to Richard Spencer. For those of you listening, this is why you should subscribe, because the resemblance is absolutely uncanny. But no, that isn't Richard Spencer either. Now, do we, Sorry. So Richard Spencer created altright.com. He, uh, he's credited with coining the term alt-right. He's a major figure in it. He holds an annual conference with the National Policy Institute, and he has been a leading figure in this movement. Here is the old introductory video to his website. Who are you? I'm not talking about your name or your occupation. I'm talking about something bigger, something deeper. I'm talking about your connection to a culture, a history, a destiny, an identity that stretches back and flows forward for centuries, an identity you can glimpse in the face of a grandparent or your child. That is so creepy. <laughs> if you can't see that video, it is so weird. I take back the Paul Bois comparison. Paul Bois is James Bond compared to that guy. He is Cary Grant compared to Richard Spencer. It, but as creepy as the video is, it does raise an important question, a question of identity. Who, who are you? What is essentially your identity? Now, what Richard Spencer is saying is your identity is white. Your identity is European or of European descent or whatever. People have lots of identities. I'm a New Yorker. I live in California. I guess I'm a Californian. I'm a podcaster. I'm an American. A lot of, a lot of identities going around. What he then gets to is Western civilization. What is Western civilization? What is the identity 
of Western civilization. Now, traditionally, we would describe this as Athens and Jerusalem, the meeting of Greek philosophy with Christianity and the history that that made throughout all of Europe, the Holy Roman Empire, the, the end of the Roman Empire, the, the Crusades, the, the modern era, the last 500 years, the, all of these things that the West produced, the, the natural law that came out of Christianity and the natural rights that came out of that and the liberal democracy that came out of that, our own national culture as Americans and as Westerners, which led to human rights, this, that, and the other thing. But what does the alt-right take on this foundation of the West? Uh -huh. Are you a Christian? I'm a cultural Christian, yeah. What the hell is that? Well, you know, I, many of us struggle with faith, but, uh, but no, I, no, I'm no, part of a Christian. Hold on, you, uh, you can't call yourself a cultural Christian and then say, I struggle with faith. Have you professed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Uh, no, I, I, well, I have in my life. I, I don't. I mean, look, let's, is this an no, imposition no, no. on me? No, 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 I mean, no, actually, no, it's an interview. But, but see, when somebody tells me they are Christian, and I, I again, I'm have, culturally Christian. What is culturally Christian? I, I grew up in a Christian background. I resonate with Christianity and so on. So this isn't a complicated question, but Richard Spencer makes it complicated. He's a cultural Christian. And obviously that concept doesn't, doesn't mean anything. But it, it, like with all of these guys, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. The alt-right people are just smart enough, just articulate enough, just educated enough to convince dummies to follow them. It is like the New York Times editorial board, who are just, they are, um, I, I would like to clarify too, I am comparing the New York Times editorial board to the alt-right for, for a variety of reasons. But th th this is that issue. The, uh, what, what does Richard Spencer worship? What it, he, he likes the idea of Christianity, but he doesn't like the doing of Christianity. He doesn't like the Jesus. I, I say this often, but lefties tend to want the semblance of a thing without the essence of the thing. You know, they like uh, decaf coffee. They want to have a university degree, but not have a university education. They want to use the image of Martin Luther King, but they don't want to deal with the content of his actual speeches. And we're seeing this exact same thing from, uh, from the alt-right, you know, uh, a culture that becomes navel-gazing uh, ultimately dies. It, it can't just look at itself. It has to look somewhere else. Do we have clip seven of Richard Spencer talking about religion? Thinking about wh where does religion come come from? Like, wh how, how does it I evolve? And uh, I think one way to think about it is that, like, religion, like culture, I mean, there's no di I mean, like, the origin of the word culture is cult. You know, I mean, it's it's the religion and culture it's hard to even separate them um but it's a way of like of binding a community and and having authority uh while not necessarily having power so you know if i'm if i'm leading an army i could say you know fight they're gonna kill you so you better fight them and if you retreat, I'm going to shoot you, you know, good yeah. luck, boys. You know, that, that's, a, that's a kind of like brutal way of, of, of uh, you know, ordering your troops around and commanding troops. But, you know, the, the way we've seen this in um, throughout history and not definitely not just modern history, ancient history, prehistory, is that you're, you're fighting for you're, you might not be fighting for an ideal like democracy or something, but you're, you're fighting for something bigger. It's like God is on our side. That is exactly right. That, that's why I wanted to play that whole long clip because he gets it exactly right and then he gets it completely wrong. Culture comes from cult. A culture is defined by what you worship, 
what you a, a culture that worships money will be a more materialistic culture a culture that worships sex will be a more a lusty culture and but a culture can't worship itself a, the, the Western culture is a culture that was born out of Christianity, a culture that worshipped God in a particular way, in a particular place, and it produced wonderful things, works of art, civilization, governments, political rights, the, the greatest civilization that's ever lived. But a man wrapped up in himself is a very small package indeed, and the same is true of cultures. So if the culture just trap, is, is trapped in its own existence, it can't become greater than itself. It can't grow, it will, it will just die. So Richard Spencer, he recognizes the importance of Christianity. He recognizes that it's the essence of the Western civilization, but he himself doesn't worship it because we live in basically a post-Christian society, a post-Nietzsche society in which God is apparently dead. Spoiler alert, he isn't really dead, but according to the culture, he is. So here is Spencer's idea of how to have his cake and eat it too. Do you think that uncucking the church would be a great asset to our cause? Good question. Well, of, uh, again, this is one of those questions that could a book could be written on this, but uh, of course yeah. uncucking the church would be a, a benefit. and. Uh, I would support that. And adopting that as one's religion, I think we did turn Christianity into something European. We did, you could say, paganize it or Germanize it uh, in many ways. Um, I'm not, I don't want to ever be seen as someone who's, you know, wearing a fedora and is a shrill atheist who's at war with Christians and thinks we need to, you know, deconstruct the church first or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm really not like that. Effectively, liberalism and modernism are theological replacements for Christianity. They are post-Christian. Also, also entirely true until he becomes entirely wrong. Liberalism, modernism, certainly modernism, have become a replacement theology. But there are plenty of replacement theologies. There was communism, there's environmentalism, there, there's the sort of cult of tolerance that we're seeing now play out at Google and elsewhere. Uh, they are replacements for Christianity. But uh, white nationalism is too. Fascism is too. White supremacy is too. Nazism are also movements that have become theological and taken the place of Christianity in the West. And, and this is also, uh, in particular, nothing new. Even in the figure of Richard Spencer, we've seen it before with George Lincoln Rockwell, the head of the American Nazi Party in the 1960s. Same thing, buttoned up, wore tweeds, smoked a pipe, parted his hair nicely, and discussed the same ideas. Rockwell, when he was a little boy, was a Protestant, and then he abandoned his Protestantism when he discovered that uh, God isn't true, you know, God isn't real. He had his atheist awakening, but he recognized the importance of Christianity and the usefulness to society and to civilization, so he decided that we need to sort of use it in some way. He, he didn't consider the fact that possibly it's all true, and there's a reason why that culture flourished for certainly all of modernity and, and for 2,000 years. But no, it had to be some strange trick, and how do we recapture the trick? This is what we're seeing uh, in this post-Christian West. We're seeing it fundamentally a, a contradiction, an impossibility. To You want to have the Western civilization without the thing that makes it the West. And the term that a lot of these online alt-writers are using is red pill. So you, you remember from The Matrix. Do we have a clip of it? This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland, 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So that's the choice that they think we have. They think that we're living in a fantasy, the fantasy of 2017 Western civilization. It's illusory, and what we really need to do is wake up to the truth of reality, which is dark and ugly, and it's a hard truth, but you know, we gotta do it. Take the red pill, the world is ugly, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and do it anyway. Horace Walpole, the great English writer, said life is a comedy to him who thinks and a tragedy to him who feels. So is life just a hellish facade full of pointless moments until we turn into warm food? Or is there some purpose? I can't possibly answer that. I have to bring on our panel of deplorables. And we have an excellent one today. We have roaming millennial. We have the lone conservative, Cassie Dillon. And for some reason, we have Jacob Airy. Cassie, welcome. This is your first time here. So you will get the first question. Uh, the, awesome, you know, this is, a, this is a real softball. The West has been grappling with it for only about a century or century and a half. Is God dead? Absolutely not. I'm a devout Christian, and I think it's kind of telling to see that these alt-writers have abandoned Jesus. Obviously, they never believed in Jesus in the first place, if they're spewing these type of things out there, making it seem like God's creation, which is humanity, is not equal. So it honestly doesn't surprise me to see those those videos that you just showed of Richard Spencer. I haven't seen them before. I tried not to pay attention to him. Yeah. But honestly, it doesn't shock me at all. I emailed him, actually. He, or I Twittered him. He and I uh, follow each other on Twitter. I, I, somebody I forget, always joked that he only follows me because I'm the only non-Jew at the Daily Wire, which might be. I don't know. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, he didn't get back to me in time for this show. Maybe he'll send in a message or something. But is it, I mean, I agree with you. God isn't dead. That's manifestly true. But, uh, you know, roaming is Spencer's vision the natural outcome of a post-Christian right wing? Or is there a more coherent atheist right wing that uh, doesn't mow down people at protests? Well, well I, I think back what's the interesting East. about... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I think what's interesting about Richard Spencer is that, you know, he kind of coined the alt-right. He likes to parade himself around under the right wing label. But if you actually listen to what he's saying, he is a literal national socialist and i'm not saying that you know trying to equate him with nazis and you know fearmonger that way i am i think the guy is a nazi i think it's pretty <laughs> clear but maybe you, well, you'll take a nicer he's, stance he's actually in favor of national socialism like he i interviewed him on my channel uh and you know asked him about non-ethnic cleansing policies that he might be in favor of and you know he's in favor of things like uh you know socialized medicine um same same thing with uh you know environmental protections that we see coming from the far left. He is not a right-wing person, and I think that kind of extends to his views on conservatism and Christianity as well. I think in his mind, he sees things like the regressive left does, where it's like anything white is right-wing, which is actually not how it works. Right. Don't, don't you think, though, that there is some that it's a little disingenuous to say they have nothing to do with the right. I, I only I agree entirely that they, they like big government, they want socialized medicine, they view the world with the same identity politics as the left, but all those guys voted for Trump. Do we have to take some ownership of them or can we say they're lefties, they have lefty premises? Well, we could we can take ownership of them insofar as, you know, Trump wants the wall and they're anti-Mexican and they see that as a good thing. But if we're right. talking about like, you know, their actual ideology, what their beliefs are, what their economic beliefs are, what they are on the authoritarian libertarian scale, um, they're very, very far from, I think, the emerging new right, which is a right wing, actually right wing and be culturally libertarian. Like these are authoritarian leftists, maybe center left. But I mean, if we're actually going to tackle 
what their political ideology is. These aren't, you know, these aren't tea partiers, for example. Right, that's these true. These aren't the, the Ted Cruz's of the party. <laughs> yeah, you know, that guy Andrew Anglin, the head of Daily Stormer, he used to be a hippie. He used to be a vegan, dreadlocks. He was a member of the left. So I, I certainly grant it's an easy leap from the far left into Nazism. But Jacob, William F. Buckley Jr. famously purged all those racists out of the party, but sometimes they can be useful if we can take their votes. What do you think? Do you think there's any Big Ten argument to suck up to them, or do we just have to purge them? I'm all for purging them. These, these same people are the same people who say, I'm a part of white genocide because I happen to be married to a Mexican who's also part Native American. So I have, uh, I, I have absolutely no sympathy for them. I think that they should be purged out of any movement, whether whether it's uh, conservative or liberal, I don't think we should pander to these guys at all. 100%. I'm I'm against giving them even a bone. You know who else purged people was the Nazis, Jacob. Are you? Well, I, <laughs> I was will... just gonna say Jacob advocating for purging people. Right That's gonna be the headline. Noel show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess we're an alt right show now. I don't. Well, that was fast. I didn't think we were doing that. Sorry, Cassie. Did you have something to say? I saw you you uh, started talking. Yeah, I was just going to add um, that I just came back from the Middle East and I saw deeply religious people. And being in America, we do have a secular society. Obviously, there are religious people in America. You can go to New York, you'll see very devout Jews. You can go down to the South, you'll see really devout Christians. But it's not the same over there. But I don't necessarily think that religion's going anywhere. I think these guys are pretending that Christianity is no longer believing in Christ, but it's just your identity no it's still believing in christ going to church being with your family and believing god so well, i think it's just crazy that they're just trying to pretend it doesn't exist anymore right they love christendom they love christendom but they hate christianity <laughs> they don't see some contradiction in between those two it's the idea of it right it's the idea of uniting people uh, behind one person but then they want to pervert it Absolutely. All right. I've had enough of the Nazis. We need to move on to really important stories. Politico is reporting. Oh, by the way, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube that you, you, you cheapskates, you have such a good panel today. You get Cassie Dillon, Roaming Millennial, even Jacob Airy, and you won't be able to see the rest unless you go to dailywire.com and subscribe. It's only $10 a month, $100 a year. You get my show, the Ben Shapiro show, the Andrew Clavin show, and best of all, the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Keeps your Leftist Tears hot or cold, always salty and delicious. Go over there right now, dailywire.com, and we'll be right back. Politico is reporting that President Obama was warned as early as 2014 that the Russian government intended to interfere in Western elections, but they did nothing. Cassie, can we say, perhaps, that Barack Obama colluded with the Russians? I don't even want to go into the whole Russian collusion, <laughs> honestly. I think it's just insane, and I think that the right is trying to fight back to the left by fighting them with their own tactics. Mm. I don't think anyone necessarily colluded with the Russians. Do I think the Russians got involved? Yes. So I think it went more than just trolling on the internet. No, I don't think it's as big as people are making it. And I don't think Obama necessarily included them either. I think he just kind of went along with it. I know he had that secret conversation that he was caught in the hot mic, which was interesting. But I think this whole Russian collusion thing just needs to die down. Sounds like the sort of thing a girl who colluded with the Russians would say. Roaming, <laughs> why did they ignore this? Is it because Hillary was a shoe-in? Because they wanted to leverage it somehow? Or because they just didn't think it would matter whatsoever? 
all of the above. Yeah. I think and if we look at the timeline of this whole Russian collusion narrative, I think even, you know, even the leftist media didn't even think that it would stick as much as it has. I think they've just been kind of going with it, throwing whatever they have and just seeing, hey, you know, this is actually working. Let's do it more. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm no fan of Obama, but I, I kind of agree with Cassandra. I don't think this was, you know, Obama in cahoots with the Russians. I think, you know, if there was anything... I don't think it was anything serious and you know I I hate to see people you know Republicans or you know people in the GOP just trying to distract from what's going on on our side by flinging the same accusations at other people. I want to distract as much as possible. This is a terrible story. It makes <laughs> us look awful. And I want to talk about I want to do exactly what they did and only talk about this Russia nonsense. But Jacob Roaming brings up a good point. There's very little coverage of this. There was maybe one, one headline in Politico today. Is this evidence that the mainstream media is only interested in Russia when it backs up their Trump narrative? Or is this really just a kind of nothing story that we'd be best to ignore? Oh, it totally shows the mainstream media is in league with the Democrats. Sure, I guess it could but, be both. Right, <laughs> it's yeah, not an exactly, either-or situation. But I also <laughs> agree with, with Roaming and Cassie. I think that, you know, we should just let this whole Russia thing go. The Russians are always trying to cause trouble for the United States. It's nothing new. Uh, there's no evidence that Obama directly colluded with them, and there's no evidence that Trump directly colluded with them. So the me mainstream media, media just needs to to drop this completely. It's not going anywhere until that we find something that they did something more that the Russians did something more egregious. It just needs to be let go. Fair enough. I agree with that. I'm done talking about those Russians. Now we need to talk about the most important. I can't believe this is a story, but unfortunately, it's like one of the only ones today. <laughs> Over the weekend, Al Sharpton's National Action Network protested outside of the Rams preseason opener because Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job. If you've forgotten Colin Kaepernick, as I've been trying to, he's that <laughs> football player who refused to get up for the national anthem and kneeled down during it. Jacob, why doesn't Colin Kaepernick have a job? Because he's not that great of a player. Now, I'm not saying he, he's on the level of terrible, but he can't get a job because he's not that great. It's the same reason Tim Tebow can't, couldn't get a football job. But And by the way, Tim Tebow was a little bit better than Colin Kaepernick. He even won the Heisman Trophy, right? But I still think that everyone, the left is trying to make this all about racism, and the right is trying to make it all about the fact that he wouldn't stand for the national anthem. It's just the plain fact fact that he is just not that great of a uh, player and that's why he doesn't have a job. But that doesn't sell newspapers. That doesn't get <laughs> clicks. Cassie, is sitting down for the national anthem sufficient reason not to rehire a mediocre football player? Or is that uh, should that not be considered? I think that this is a bigger trend. If you look at anyone who is in an industry that doesn't have to do with politics, the second they soil themselves with politics, whether it's left or mm. right, Oftentimes, there's that threat that you might be soiled. You know, you might not be able to go back into your uh, your industry without being seen a certain way. For instance, when you have people like Snoop Dogg coming out making these videos with politics and what was he being rude to our president, threatening to kill him, basically, you are. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rude. You're <laughs> yourself. People don't want to see that. They want to listen to music. They don't want to hear about politics. They don't want to hear about your your views. They just want to see you play a game of football. That's true. But if celebrities don't if celebrities don't tell us about their political views, who will we simple non-celebrity people know who to vote for? They <laughs> it's have really, to tell us. I only they pay attention to Snoop Dogg and Richard Spencer. Those are the only <laughs> that's where I get my political views from. <laughs> 
Roman. Just average out the difference between them. You should be good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it does bring. I mean, is this a question? Should we consider what they do culturally? I mean, th this was one single act. He's kneeling down for the Pledge of Allegiance, and actors in Hollywood get away with this stuff all the time. The Oscars are unbearable these days because every speech is some stupid Pat Patricia Arquette screed about Trump or imagined uh, wage differences or something like that. Is there, um, is, is there uh, any reason that we should, uh, that sports should be different or is everything of a piece? Well, you know, the thing, these aren't, entertainers aren't really like regular employees where you're an employer, you know, as long as you do your job, you get a regular salary, right? Colin, Colin Ka Kaepernick, oh my gosh, I, I don't know football. <laughs> So, uh, join the club. <laughs> yeah. Neither. So his job, yeah, he plays football, but his main job is to like bring in viewers and sponsors, right? And if people are put off by his political message, then yeah, he's not good for the team. And the, you know, it's the same with actors. If people get tired enough of someone, let's let's say like Sean Penn, that they don't want to see the movies in he's in anymore, then yeah, people aren't going to hire him. And it's not necessarily even whether you know the directors or the team owners agree with them or not. It's just about business and you know consumers. I think for the most part, we're able to kind of distinguish between these are your personal views and this is you as, you know, in your job. But after a while, it does get kind of tiring. And I think that football player guy, he, he definitely put himself <laughs> in, in that position. Is it Kaepernick? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's so racist, racist roaming. I know, even though that's, I'm pretty sure that's a white last name, but yeah. <laughs> he, it's true. Nobody has the right to throw a football on television. If the, if the advertisers want you out, then you, you know, you're an entertainer, I suppose, first and foremost. Cassie, I'm going to give you the final word on this. Why do I care? Why, do I, why does anybody care about this man? Why has this been dominating the news for a year? I'm still searching for the reason. I think Global <laughs> Media is maybe getting sick of talking about Russia, but now it's back to Colin Kaepernick. You know, they're talking about <laughs> they're going down their checklist. <laughs> what was it? The airplane, Colin Kaepernick, and now this, the Russia story. So now we're going back to Colin Kaepernick. If an airplane goes down soon, I'm sure we'll talk about that for a few months too. <laughs> yeah, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. Never ending. That's an amazing prediction from the panel of deplorables. All right, get out of here. Cassie, nice to have you on. Roaming, wonderful as always. And Jacob. Now it's time for the final thought. I have to put my smart glasses on for the final thought because I can't read the prompter. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. So if you want to defend Western culture, which is a laudable and urgent endeavor, you might first ask yourself, what is Western culture? What created Western culture? What does Western culture comprise? White nationalists like Richard Spencer seem to answer with shallow pop philosophy and slick memes. Now, it's a great thing to unite the right, but not with the wrong. Alt-right reads Nietzsche, conservatives understand Nietzsche, and there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy. This eternal fact should suffice to keep people out of hell, unless, like the clowns who paraded through Charlottesville this weekend, they're already there and determined to drag us down into the filth with them. On that, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow and we'll do it again. <laughs>